Hi, this is Derek from Atlanta. Unlike Bob, I am a former law enforcement officer, but I still enjoy listening to a practical show by a practical guy. You're listening to the Handgun World Podcast. Hi folks, Bob Main here with another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. Episode 533, and the release date is November 29th, which is a Sunday in the year 2020. Welcome to a practical show done by a practical guy, and that is me. Folks, I am not ex-military or law enforcement or not even a fancy gunsmith or anything like that. I'm just a regular guy, I share my Second Amendment journey, and that's pretty much what you hear from me on this show. This week I am going to talk about a switch in my competition gun. Most of you know I like to go shoot competition as much as I can. The high cost of ammo and the low availability has really made that tough lately, but I still get out there. Um, usually once a month and on occasion twice a month depending on the ammo supply and I'm going to talk a little bit about that in this episode as well. So let me remind you that this show is sponsored by Concealment Solutions. Fantastic holsters all day today. I used a Cobra outside the waistband holster for my Glock 43X that I carried all day. Concealment Solutions, Cobra, They make great inside the waistband holsters, hybrid holsters, appendix carry, all Kydex, even great concealed carry belts. So check them out at concealmentsolutions.com. Concealmentsolutions.com. You get a 10% discount just because you are a Handgun World podcast listener. Just use the discount code HANDGUNWORLD at checkout. Great stuff. I use them and I firmly believe in Concealment Solutions products uh, and their customer service is outstanding. All right, so for the last three or four years, I have been competing in competition mostly with my concealed carry guns, which I am very much a believer in doing that. Compete with what you carry. Compete with what it is that you're going to use to save your life. And for me, that's been an M&P 2.0 9mm compact. It's been a Glock 19 Gen 3 or Gen 5. And that's pretty much what I've been showing up to competition and shooting. Uh, Years ago, I spent a long time competing with a Glock 34, a Generation 3 Glock 34 and that was my primary competition gun about five years and but I got away with that because I wanted to try some new things now I'm not talking about concealed carry I'm talking about competition only I had a I put this out on Facebook that I made this switch and I had a listener uh, send me a comment on Facebook saying hey Bob Bob what's going on what's wrong what's wrong you you told me the Glock 48s are good and I have a Glock 48 because I took your recommendation and and I love my Glock 48 what's going on I didn't say I changed concealed carry guns I changed competition guns and I'm going to explain why 
My carry guns are the same. Sig P365, Glock 48, Glock 43X. Pretty much those three, and with emphasis on the Glock 43X and the Sig P365. Those are my primary uh, small gun carry guns. And, of course, my Glock 19s are my primary carry. Uh, now, one of my Glock 19s I've got set up pretty much for competition only. And that's my Gen 3, which kind of ties into the subject matter this week of switching back to a Gen 3 Glock for competition and why I did that. I'm going to explain why I did that. And I'm going to talk about ammo coming up. So I want to make sure I'm reminding myself here to talk about those. So when I compete in the uh, concealed carry divisions, I shoot a Gen 3 Glock 19 that I've got nicely modified. Not heavily modified, but nicely modified. I talked about that on previous episodes, so I'm not going to spend much time on this episode discussing that. You can go back and listen to some of the older ones, and you can see what I did to my uh, Glock 19 Gen 3, or what you can do is... Check out my Facebook page, uh, or if you want, send me an email, handgunworld at gmail.com, handgunworld at gmail.com. I'll send you a direct link to those um, Facebook posts and to those podcasts if you want to listen to those. Or you can go to handgunworld.com. You can put in the search bar, modifying Glock Gen 3, and that should be able to pull it up for you. So that's my competition pistol for concealed carry divisions. When I want to game it a little bit more, when I want to play the competition game, which is fun. Playing the competition game is fun, and I'd highly recommend it. Uh, I think it's something that is beneficial. And even if you just want to game it, even if you just want to see how well you can do and try to win, then you can step up to something other than a uh, concealed carry pistol, which is what... I have chosen to go back to doing. And so I've gone back to my Gen 3 Glock 34. And here's why. So for if I'm going to shoot IDPA, it would be for the stock service pistol division. If I'm going to shoot USPSA, it would be for the production division. Production minor, I think it would be. And uh, so um, let me tell you why I did this and why a Gen 3. Because there are Generation 5. Glock 34s in the MOS version that uh, are really heavily touted out there as being great. And I'm sure that they are. There are M&P 5-inch guns. There are Sig Sauer X5 competition guns. Uh, a lot of people using those. A lot of people using the 2011s, the, the modernized 1911s that are usually double stack, usually 9mm, usually holding 17 to like 19 rounds or something like that. But they're a 1911 pistol. A lot of people using those. Let me tell you why I chose. First of all, I'm, just, I'm so familiar with Glocks and I've shot them for so long that it was just kind of a, kind of a, uh, a natural decision to go back to shooting a, a Gen 3 Glock. Gen 3s, by the way, are just fine for me. They fit my hand. The trigger reach is just fine because I've got relatively long fingers. The finger grooves, they line up with my hand just just fine. No problem. Uh, I've never had a problem with finger grooves on Glocks. I know lots of people have. I know lots of people have. I know that some people it just doesn't fit and it kind of 
throws their grip off a little bit. You can always remove finger grooves, or you can switch to a Gen 4 or Gen 5, but let me tell you why I am shooting the Gen 3. And if I ever get tired of the finger grooves, which I won't, I'll just take the finger grooves off of this, but I doubt that I ever will, but you could. If, you, if you're going to shoot a Glock and you are going to go back to a Gen 3 or whatever, and uh, it sounds kind of weird for me to say that because there's so much hype out there about the new Gen 5 Glocks. And they're good. There's a lot of good things about the new Generation 5 Glocks. But let, let's get right into it. Why did I go back to the, to the Glock 34 Gen 3? So here's why. It is the most customizable version of Glock, the Generation 3. Well, I, I mean, I guess you could modify and customize a Gen 1 or a Gen 2, but I wanted the 34, and I got a good deal on the Gen 3, and so that's why I picked up a Gen 3. Much more customizable than the Gen 5s, and if you're going to shoot competition, you want to be able to customize your gun. Uh, let, let me start with the recoil spring assembly, okay? Some competition shooters, including me, are getting into reloading their ammunition. And uh, I am not very good at it, but I have a real good friend of mine who's very good at it. And we work together, and he's teaching me. He's teaching me, and I, I've made my share of mistakes. And uh, sometimes I let him do the work, and I buy the reloads from him. And then sometimes I do the work, so I can perfect the skill a little bit better and I'm going to emphasize this is for competition purposes only so the recoil spring assembly with the Gen 3's you can buy lots of different recoil spring weights you can buy 11 pound 13 pound 15 pound I think 17 pound recoil spring I think that's the stock weight you can buy heavier ones like 20 pound springs it's so easy to find aftermarket parts for the Gen 3 Glocks. It's a lot more difficult to find aftermarket parts for the Gen 5 Glocks. And depending on how you load your ammunition, sometimes if I want to if I want to mess around with lightly loaded ammo for competition purposes, I may want to lighten the recoil spring. I may want to go down to a 15 or a 13 pound recoil spring so that I have more reliable cycling with lower powered ammunition. Well, that's pretty difficult to do with the Gen 5. There's only one or two places selling recoil spring kits for a Generation 5, and sometimes they don't even, they don't even sell the different spring weights. All they sell is just a replacement for the factory recoil spring. But the choices are endless. I mean, all you got to do is get online and, and search recoil spring kits for... Gen 3 pistols, and you're going to get tons of sources. Uh, if I want to change out any of the springs in the um, in the upper of the gun, like if I want to change the uh, recoil return or the the trigger return spring, or if I want to change the firing pin spring, if I want to do that, it's easy to do with the Gen 3 because I can. It's I'm not saying it's easier to do the labor to do the work. Gen 5 pistols are easy to work on. In fact, Gen 5 Glocks are just as easy as probably any other generation. But finding the parts is so much easier. If I want to change the slide stop or the slide release, which I'm going to do on my Gen 3, by the way, I still have the Glock stock extended 
slide stop or extended slide release on this gun. And I'm going to get rid of it, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Uh, if you want to change out the mag release button, it's easier and sometimes lower cost to find those parts for Gen 3s. Now, I happen to like the extended magazine release that's on the Gen 3 Glock. I happen to like it, the Gen 3 Glock 34. The reason I don't like the slide stop or slide release, it's too long. And when I get my, when I establish my uh, my grip on the gun, my left hand, I'm a right-handed shooter. My left hand, my off hand, weak hand, other shooting hand, whatever you want to call it, it accidentally during recoil pushes up the slide stop. And so sometimes every one or two rounds, my slide is locking open, causing that type of a malfunction. But on my Glock 19, for example. I put on the Larry Vickers slide stop, and it's fantastic. I wanted something easier to use because I'm training myself to do that. I used to use the overhand tug method or the whatever you want to call it. I like to call it the overhand tug or the overhand overhand slam, you know, yank back the magazine or yank back the slide and let it slam forward back home. And I, I do both. I do both. I practice and train both. Uh, but I've learned that you can also get very reliable using the slide stop or slide release, whatever people want to call it. So the one that Larry Vickers makes is fantastic. Well, you can get them for a Gen 4 and Gen 5, but they're a little bit less expensive getting them for a Gen 3, and it's just easier. Or if you want to buy somebody else's, somebody else's uh, uh, controls that are better, you can get them for a Gen 3 a lot easier. It's it's much easier to do that. Uh, if you want to get them, get uh, a different mag release buttons. You can get quite a few of them for a Gen 3. Um, even the takedown lever, the takedown lever on Glock Gen 3s, uh, it's just nice and convenient to have a, an extended takedown lever. Just makes it easier when you're uh, cleaning the pistol. It's easy to find extended ta takedown levers for Gen 3s. Uh, the takedown lever is completely redesigned on Gen 5s, and it's much more difficult to change. And the spring that they use on a Gen 5 is much more difficult to take out and replace if you have to do that. Uh, so I just think, you know, here's I'm going to say something rather controversial, okay? And I, I'm sure that I'm probably going to get some... I'm going to get some pushback from Glock aficionados, right? But I'm going to go ahead and say it because it's my opinion, and I like to just tell you the truth, or at least tell you what I'm thinking. I'm not saying everything I say is truth, but hey, it's my opinion. That's why you tune in, and so you're going to get it. I, I believe that Glock didn't really need to change when they came out with the Gen 4s and the Gen 5s. I really don't believe they needed to. Gen 3s were fine. Gen 3s were absolutely 100% reliable, durable, and accurate guns. They didn't need to change. But what Glock did is they responded to the market pressure because Sig and Ruger and Smith & Wesson and Springfield and HK, they were all putting pressure 
on Glock to change their pistols and basically Glock was getting beat up because they were being thought of as old technology not keeping up with the times I really didn't think that Glock needed to keep up with the times because they had a winner they had great guns Gen 3's are fantastic Gen 2's are great I'd love to get my hands on the Gen 1 Glock 19 for example um, I'd like to do that uh, I I don't want to get a Gen 117 or also called the P80 today because I just don't see the need for doing that. I, I like the Gen 3s. Like I said, the finger grooves never bothered me. And, and I just think that I think that Glock had it right with, with the Generation 3 guns. And by responding to the market pressure and, of course, the pressure of customizing the, uh, customizing the grip, you know the uh, you can change out grip panels on the grip on the Gen 4s and Gen 5s. Well, and also if if a person wants to, they can they can have a professional that knows what they're doing change the shape of a of a Glock grip. You know you can have there's a lot of people that know what they're doing, uh, and there's a lot of great sources. I mean I've I've seen some people post pictures and videos of their Boresight solutions work that they've had done on their Glocks and. Boresight Solutions, this is just a free ad for them because I have I've actually shot one that was modified by Boresight Solutions and they don't pay me, they don't sponsor this program or anything like that. Now Boresight, if you if you want to talk sponsorship, <laughs> give me a call or send me an email, handgunworld at gmail dot com. But there's a lot of places that you can you know, you can send your pistols off to someplace. Suarez International, another one. And you can you can have them change the grip for you. Speaking of places like Suarez International and Zev Technologies, places like that, you know, Suarez makes a whole bunch of slides for Gen 3s. And if I want to if I want to put an optic on this on this uh, Glock 34, what I'll do is I'll buy an optics ready slide, and I can buy lots of optics cut slides for a Gen 3 Glock. There's a lot of sources out there. The market's flooded. The aftermarket is flooded with slides that have an optics cut. And I can use all the same Glock internals if I want. And I can put all the Glock internals into the aftermarket slide. And why would I want to do that? Because then I don't, I don't have to touch my factory slide. I don't have to touch it. So if I ever decide, hey, I don't like this Glock 34 anymore, I'll sell it. Well, I don't, I don't know why I would do that, but I'm just saying... If I wanted to, I could just go put the factory slide back on it and sell it as a factory configured pistol. Okay? The only change I've made to this Glock 34 Gen 3 is competition sights. Um, I like a red fiber optic front sight and a plain black rear sight. Dawson makes great ones. Uh, Warren Tactical makes excellent. Ameriglow makes good ones. Just to name a few. And again, none of these companies are sponsors of my show unless they want to be. <laughs> anyway, so again, just the aftermarket support. Different slides, different sights, different mag release buttons, different slide stops or slide release. Um, Gen 3s are so easy to work on and I know how to change every single spring and if I if I have a problem, I I've got good friends that know Glocks inside and out, and they can help me. 
uh, change things on generation threes. The generation fives are just a little bit more tricky to do some of your own gunsmithing on them. And uh, by the way, the Gen 3 Glock 34 and the, the Gen 3 Glock 35 and 40 caliber, they've been used by world champion shooters to win world championships. Bob Vogel, Dave Savigny, they, they've won multiple world championships with Generation 3 Glock pistols. Uh, today, I, there are people at Glock on the Glock shooting team that are using Gen 5s. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with Gen 5s, and I'm not saying you shouldn't buy a Gen 5 or even a Gen 4. I'm just saying from a customizability, right? That's not even really a word, but I just made it up. Customizability, right? It, it sounds cool. I mean, it, it sounds like a sophisticated word, right? It's not really a word, but customizability. It, I invented it, or I created it, or whatever. But I think you get the point. And uh, it's it's just so much easier with Generation 3 Glocks. Now, if you're not a Glock shooter, nothing I've said for these uh, 20 minutes has uh, really pertained to you. But maybe if you ever do think about getting a Glock, maybe I've given you some things to think about, or maybe shared with you some things that you didn't know or or maybe you just don't care and you'll tune in a little harder to the next episode when I'm not only talking about Glocks. <laughs> um, but you could say the same about Smith & Wesson M&Ps. Now I happen to like the 2.0 versions of the M&Ps. But some people don't. Some people really like the, the Generation 1s. Uh, I know Ben Branham likes his Generation 1. And uh, when he when he shot my Generation 2, he was not really all that impressed with it. My 2.0 M&P. I am, though. I like it. Okay? I like the texturing on it. I like the trigger on it. I like the frame of it better. I just... It shoots... I, for some reason, I can shoot the 2.0 M&Ps better than I can shoot the original version. I don't know why. So... But anyway, so I like... So it's, it's the reverse... Uh, with something like an M&P, but when it comes to Glocks, I kind of like I kind of like the old third gens, especially for a competition pistol. Now, my Gen 5 Glock 19 is a fantastic primary carry gun, and I use it often as a primary carry gun. Uh, I'm not going to customize my carry gun very much, so that's why I don't mind carrying the Gen 5. And that's why I customized my Gen 3 Glock 19 to be my concealed carry competition gun. So, just some food for thought. Something you might want to think about. Uh, if you own a Gen 3 Glock, you own a fine pistol. And don't let anybody tell you that you don't. Don't let the marketing hype tell you that it's a bad gun. There's a lot of marketing hype going on in the firearms industry. There has been for about five or six years. Everybody's got the greatest and latest and coolest and absolute greatest thing since sliced bread, don't they, right? That's what they make you think, that they have the greatest. And it's not necessarily so. Now, there are a few uh, exceptions I want to point out. Uh, I think that Sig Sauer just absolutely hit the longest home run that you could hit in the firearms business with the P365 and the P365XL. 
Not right away they didn't. We all know about the issues with the P365 in the beginning, but I have one of the newer versions of a P365, and I can't say enough good things about it. So for a small 9mm gun, a, a very small 9mm gun, I think it's very difficult to beat the P365. So a lot of marketing hype about that gun, and well-deserved, because of the design, the functionality, the shootability, the capacity, and everything of that little gun. Yeah, there's tiny guns that hold more ammo now than the P365, but out of the box, that P365 is a great value. There's nothing you have to do to those guns, the XL version either. You don't have to do anything to them. They have good sights, excellent night sights. They have good triggers. They have good grips. They shoot well. They're reliable. You don't have to change anything. Buy a P365, pull it out of the box, clean it, lubricate it, and carry on. And go to the range and shoot it like crazy. Uh, because they're great guns. So for cons- Now, I love the, the, the small SIGs. I like the small SIGs, the P365 series. I'm not a big fan of the P320s, but again, I might make some enemies because I, I don't care for the 320s, but I've tried them a lot. For me, they just don't work. But I like the P365 series of the SIG pistols. So those are the exceptions I would make. A lot of other marketing hype out there, though, that eh, I just don't think it's... Um, it's a, a, there's not a whole lot of reality. You know what I mean? For example, uh, is my M&P 2.09 millimeter compact, is that better than a Glock pistol? N- no, not really. I don't think. Now, out of the box, it's better. Because out of the box, I mean, I, I love the grip on my M&P. I love the grip. The grip is fantastic. I love the grip texture. It's excellent. The trigger's pretty good. I'd give the trigger about a 7 out of 10. Glock trigger's about a 6.5 out of 10. You know, And by the way, my Gen 3 Glock 34, it comes with a nice 3.5 pound connector. I think that Glock calls it the 4.5 pound connector now. But back in the day, they used to call it the 3.5 pound connector because it was approximately a 3.5 pound trigger pull. Maybe it's 4 pounds. I don't know, whatever. But it's a lot better than... A standard Glock like a 19 or a 17 or a 26 out of the box. So I don't even have to change the the trigger connector on a Glock 34. But if I want, of course, lots and lots of trigger connectors out there that I can find to change this trigger pull if I want to. But anyway, you know, is the M&P, like I said, back to my other question, is the M&P really a better gun? Eh, not really. Is it the same quality as a Glock? Of course. Is it just as good as a Glock? Of course. Is it a great alternative to a Glock if you don't like Glocks? Yes, it is. P320s. Are they better? I don't. I wouldn't say better. Are they a good alternative if you don't want a Glock? Yes. Okay. So that's my point. And you know what? If a P320 or an M&P 2.0 or whatever gun out there, a CZ. Um, if those, you know, CZP10C or something like that, if those work better for you and they fit your needs, 
and if you want to compete with those and you feel like you can customize them or maybe you don't need to customize them or whatever, that's great. I'm not saying they're a bad gun. Now, I just know the Glock pistols very well because I've been shooting them. Let's see, I bought my first Glock in 2007. So I've been shooting them 13 years now. And lots and lots and lots of rounds rounds downrange with a Glock pistol. And they have always served me well. I've never had a bad one. I've never had one fail me miserably. I've had a couple malfunctions. By the way, I'm not going to lie and say my Glocks don't malfunction. I think that anybody who says that their Glock doesn't malfunction, hasn't shot it enough, hasn't trained with it enough, hasn't done, gone to enough competition matches with it because if you do that enough you're going to have some malfunctions with any Glock I don't care which Glock it is with any firearm period any Glock any M&P any 1911 any SIG anything you're going to have malfunctions if you run it hard and run it hard for a long time which is what training classes and competition matches help you do so you, you can know that about somebody that says, I've shot my Glock 20,000 rounds, never had a malfunction. I would find that very difficult to believe. And I've seen people post that on the internet and say that. I, I would find that difficult to believe that they shot at 20,000 rounds with never a malfunction. Now the malfunction may not have been the gun's fault. It could be ammo's fault. It could be a shooter-induced malfunction. Maybe they didn't have a good grip, good proper grip on the gun, right? Maybe they were doing like what I used to do. Maybe their support hand was accidentally pushing up on the slide release or their thumb was pushing up on the slide release when they weren't supposed to and they were locking the gun open. That's not the gun's fault. That's the shooter's fault. But it can happen with Glocks. It can happen with a lot of guns out there. Some, not so much. But I would have a hard time believing that someone shot 20,000 rounds through any gun and didn't have a single malfunction while they were doing it. It's a, it's a piece of machinery. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a firearm. A lot of moving parts. It's going to happen with any gun out there, even revolvers. It's going to happen. Okay, I'll, I'll give you the fact that revolvers probably have a far less chance of malfunctioning than semi-autos, but... I actually had a revolver choke on me one time. Okay? I won't get into specific details. It wasn't my gun. But I've had it choke on me. And uh, it was very difficult to fix. We fixed it, but it was not easy. And it was a 38 Special revolver by a well-known manufacturer as well. Uh, and I don't think it was shooter-induced. Uh, because I had practiced with it for quite a long time and I was using high quality ammunition. Okay, so I pretty much explained why I went back to a third generation Glock 34 for competition purposes only. Okay? Not for carry purposes. Although some people, they do carry this gun. They, they, they carry a Glock 34. Some do. Uh, and that's great. Anybody who can carry a Glock 34 and carry it on a regular basis and and uh, conceal it well and carry it, uh, that's more power to them. I, I tell you what, 
You know, carry whatever you can carry. It's a, it's a heck of a carry gun if that is your carry gun. That's great, man. Rock on, carry on. All right, let me shift gears here a little bit and talk about some prepping. People say that they like it when I talk about some modern-day preparedness, modern-day survival on this show. Since I used to do a, a dedicated podcast for that that I don't do anymore, and maybe someday I'll revive that podcast. I'm still not sure, but in the meantime... I'm going to talk about preparedness because it's very important and very much needed today. And I did a show here on the Handgun World podcast a few weeks back saying unplug and that I was unplugging from the system. So I'd like to expand a little bit more on that. The government wants you to be plugged into the system. And what I'm saying is... They want you to become more dependent on them. The more dependent you are on the government, the more plugged in you are. And the more you are dependent on them. Which means the more power that they have over you. Uh, And, you know, I'd say in the last eight or nine months, we've really seen a lot of -of out-of-control government um, overreach. But it's not going to affect you as much if you plug in. I mean, excuse me, if you unplug, but if you stay plugged in, it's, it's going to be a problem for you. So, you know, don't put yourself in a position where you need to have a government stimulus check to survive. Don't, don't allow yourself to be in that position ever again. Um, And nobody says you have to comply. You you need to live life the way you want to live it, on your own terms, and strengthen your resolve. You need to live it on your own terms, okay? Nobody says you have to be locked up in your house and be locked down. You you can still go out if you want to. Now, you may have to comply with wearing a mask ordinance. Uh, A lot of businesses won't even allow you to come in. If you don't wear a mask, so put a mask on. What's the big deal? I wear a mask when I go out. But you know what? Uh, Could I get COVID by going out more? Yeah. Is it my choice? Yes. The government's not going to tell me what I can and cannot do. That's not freedom. We only have an illusion of freedom, folks, if, if we allow the government to tell us what to do. We don't really have true freedom in this country anyway. A lot of things, a lot of freedoms have been taken away from us. And if you want to cede more freedom to the government, well, that's that's your choice. But it should only be your choice, okay? And I think we're going to start to see the government try more and more and more to control our lives. You don't have to, to the extent that you can live your life the way you want to live it. You need to do that. If it gets to the point where there's so much government control that you can't live your life the way you want it then then you got to make some hard decisions are we there yet i don't think so are we moving in that direction unfortunately i think that we are but i don't think we're there yet i have been able to in the last eight months pretty much live my life pretty much any way i want to there's been some restrictions i mean for example my business i sell products to hotels so guess what's happened to hotels in the last eight months during COVID-19? 
half of them are shut down. Half of my customers are out of business or they're closed. So that makes it much more difficult for me to sell my products to hotels because they're closed. They don't have any money because they don't have any customers. So yes, that's been a huge effect on my business. I'd be lying if I said that there was no effect. But I'm finding other ways. I'm finding other customers. Some of them are still open. Some of them are taking advantage of this time to spend money and make investments in their property and they're getting ready for when hotel industry bounces back. It'll bounce back. And when it bounces back, it's going to bounce back in a big way. And so a lot of smart owners are preparing for that and they're making they're making improvements in their property and so if I'm there if I'm smart if I'm a good salesperson and I'm there and I'm taking care of those people they're gonna buy from me when they're ready and a lot of them are ready right now some of them are buying now and I'm, I'm given really good COVID-19 specials right now okay so you gotta adapt so part of modern survivalism is you gotta adapt to your situation you, you can't be stuck in your ways, folks. I think being stuck in your ways is a, is a very bad thing. You, you, you need to work on that if you find yourself too, too tied up in your old ways because your old ways may not work anymore. I mean, I've been in face-to-face selling for 32 years. Okay, I live for that. I love it. Face-to-face selling. It's nothing I would rather do in, in my life than face-to-face, in-person selling. But guess what? The whole business market has changed. I, I can't go out face-to-face as much. Even if I want to go see my customers, a lot of them don't want to come. They don't want me to come to their place. They don't want to see me. I might want to see them, but they don't want to see me because they're trying to limit the number of people in their building because of this pandemic. So I have to change my ways. I have to learn how to do more online, how to do more with video calls like FaceTime, like Google Duo, like Zoom, like Microsoft Teams, things like that. I have to learn to do more with that. It's difficult. When I've been face-to-face selling for 32 years, it's difficult, but I'm not going to be stuck in my own ways. I decided to adapt and adapt so that I can I can be more effective. And I think that's what you have to do in your own life. No matter what profession you have, no matter what you do, you have to start changing. You have to you have to be adaptive. And if you can be de- adaptive, that's one of the primary tenets of, of modern survivalism, I think. Being adaptive. Do what you can with what you have wherever you are. To quote Teddy Roosevelt, do what you can with what you have wherever you are. That's called being adaptive. That's called sometimes reinventing yourself or inventing a new way to do your business. That's part of survivalism, folks. And, and it also applies to shooting as well. Sometimes you have to change things about your shooting. Like, for example, a lot of people these days are embracing red dots on their pistols. Ten years ago, it was not a real big thing. You know, I, I remember back in like 2010, maybe it was 2009... Uh, I got to tip my hat again to uh, Gabe Suarez at Suarez International. He was he was a big pioneer of red dots on pistols. He was one of them, not the only one, but he was one of them. And he was really marketing red dots on pistols ten years ago, eleven years ago, 
When, when the red dots were not as reliable as they are today, they weren't as good as they are today, they weren't as fancy, they didn't have as many features and things like that, and there was a learning curve to shoot them. And there still is. There's a learning curve. But more people are adapting to it because the market's changing, the game is changing, even the self-defense game is changing, right? You know, people had to make the switch. A lot of them made the switch from from a uh, eight round 1911-45 ACP. Nothing wrong with those guns, by the way. If they run well for you and you want to carry them and they're good for you, then keep carrying your eight round 1911. But a lot of people said, you know what? Hey, I, I want I want more ammo, and ammo changed. Ammo technology changed, and nine millimeter got a whole lot better. And people started figuring out, you know what, I can have 15 or 17 rounds of 9mm of Federal HSTs or Spear Gold Dots or Corbon DPX. Really good ammo that has come a long way and has gotten so much better than the old 9mm ammo. I can do that if I just switch to a polymer frame modern technology 9mm. So people, a lot of people, made that switch. Now... Whenever I go to competition matches, I still see people out there with 1911s, and that's fine. God bless them, and they're doing well. Probably because they've been shooting those 1911s for years and years and years and years and years and years. But I'll tell you what, I keep my eyes and ears open in this industry. And what I don't hear or see are a lot of people when they buy a gun for the first time, or they're a new gun owner, or... Or something like that. They're, most of them are not buying 45 ACP 1911s. Most. Some might be are. Some of them might be. Some of them are. But most of them, they're buying polymer, 9mm, modern technology guns. And they're getting the highest quality modern technology ammunition that they can find. So, ammunition. I promised I would get to that. Reloading. Um, like I said a little bit earlier in the episode, I this is another survival skill, by the way, learning, learning about reloading, learning about how to find the components, how to find the primers, the brass, the bullets, and everything, how to find those and where to find them and how much to pay for them, and then getting together with somebody, if you don't know how to do it, or if you don't have the equipment to reload, getting together with somebody and doing it as a, uh, a joint venture. That's what I'm doing. You know, I did a show on today's survival show years back. I had Glenn Tate. By the way, you should listen to his show, Glenn Tate, the author of the 299 Days book series and the Prepping 2.0 podcast. I was recently on episode 75 on his show. I was a guest. So again, a, a big thank you to Glenn Tate. I had Glenn on my uh, show at today's survival show a few years back, talking about building a prepping team. And uh, for those of you who are Shooters Club members and you support the work I do, and you're a member of our Shooters Club, you're going to hear that interview I did, the part two of building a prepping team. So join the Shooters Club if you're not a member already. Go to ShootersClub.com, ShootersClubMembers.com, excuse me, ShootersClubMembers.com. There will be a link in the show notes. And get signed up for only $8 a month or $75 a year. You can watch over 80 videos, and I think we've got a dozen 
special audio podcasts up there. And one of them is my interview with Glenn Tate on building a prepper team. Okay, I also got a great point shooting uh, interview on there back in the day with Roger Phillips. Uh, and Brent Yamamoto is also... Uh, he, he interviewed with me, if you remember, like I think it was about a year ago, whatever, on uh, pistol ground fighting. Part two of that is on the Shooters Club. And one of the things that Glenn Tate talked about was your prepper network, building a, a team, a prepper team. But who's in your sphere of influence? I've always been a big fan of your sphere of influence. Who do you know? Who knows you? What kind of skills do you share? And can you do together? So I'm doing that with a buddy of mine that knows reloading very well. We made some mistakes. We made some mistakes. We caused some serious foul, uh, serious uh, problems in our guns. Some serious malfunctions. Uh, we didn't blow up any guns. We didn't have any major problems. But we caused some malfunctions until we figured out just how to load the ammo properly for the guns that we were shooting. Now we pretty much have it dialed in. Uh, we're, we're about 98 to 99% effective with our reloading right now. So that's a good thing to learn these days because we're probably loading this 9mm stuff for somewhere between 20 and 30 cents a round. That's pretty much what we're reloading. Good quality reloads, 20 to 30 cents when it's all figured in. Not counting our time. Our time's worth something, of course. But just cost, uh, which is, you know, about half the price of what you buy at the store, right? So <laughs> I stopped at a gun store the other day, and they wanted $899 for a thousand-round case. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, I never thought I would ever see such a thing in my life. $899 for a thousand round case of full metal jacket, 9mm range ammo. $899. Whew. $86 for a box of 50 Federal HST 124 grain. $86 for a box of 50. Over a dollar and a half per round. It's just un- unreal. Then again, if you don't have any of that kind of concealed carry ammo, get some. Even if you got to pay $86, get a couple boxes. Isn't your life worth that? Isn't it worth $1.50 or $1.60 a round? No, you're not going to go to a competition match and shoot that stuff. You're not going to go to a, a, a two or three day training class and shoot that stuff, are you? But if you have to shoot it in self-defense and you got a couple boxes of it, it's it's probably going to get you out of whatever crisis that you're in. And if you got to save your life for a dollar fifty, dollar sixty around, folks, save your life for a dollar fifty or a dollar sixty around. It's worth it. Your life is worth it. So get that. It's good stuff. Federal HST, Spear Gold Dot, good stuff. Corbon, if you can find some good Corbon out there. Hornady, the Hornady Critical Duty ammo is pretty good too. I've got that too. So how adaptive have you become? That's, that's my modern survival tip for this episode. How adaptive have you become? If you've got some stories on that and you want to share them, you can call in to my voicemail. I love getting voicemails from listeners. 
you guys, the listeners, you're the most important part. And you can call 210-646-1727. I say you're the most important part because you are. You know, this podcast is listener-supported 90%. That's why I need your help. I need you to join the Shooters Club. I have a Patreon page for as little as $3 a month. You can take advantage of some of the content I have on my Patreon page that you can't find anywhere. You can find that on my website or you can look at the show notes for this episode. Do your Christmas shopping on my Amazon store. That helps me a lot too. Do your shopping on my Amazon store. Just go to handgunworld.com first and then go to Amazon and then uh, through my store link and then it'll help me out. So these are some of the things, it, you're, this is a listener-supported show, so my loyalty is to you. It's one of the good things about not having sponsors that pay a lot of money. I'm not completely beholden to those sponsors, so I can pretty much say and do whatever I want on this show or my training classes. Speaking of training classes, Ben and I are not scheduled anytime in the near future, but if you want me to come out and do a custom class for you, I can do that. Uh, I've been teaching this long enough where I can do that. I can do private lessons as well. You need me to come to your town, put on a class, just email me, handgunworld at gmail.com. We can talk about it, start talking about it on email. We can then talk about it on phone if you want, if you think it's going to be something for you or the group of people that you have. And if you got stories about being adapt- adaptive, you know, adapting, learning different ways of doing things. 210-646-1727. Would love to get voicemails or emails from you on that subject. That is it, folks. That's it for this episode. Uh, folks, I hope that you have enjoyed this, picked up a couple of ideas from this show. And I wanted to share with you about this decision that I made and see if you got anything out of it. So, with all of this said, let me go ahead and sign off. You have been listening to another episode of the Handgun World Podcast. I am Bob Main, your everyday guy for Second Amendment related and firearms related subjects. Remember to shoot straight, shoot safe, read your Bible every day. And I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye.